right, uh, welcome to the Hockey Toolkit Podcast episode. What is it, Coach? I think we're on 24 or 25, but it's season two, episode four, for sure. Well, that, that's good enough for me. I'm uh, I'm Trevor DiCarlo. <laughs> I'm Andrew Tribble. Yeah, and uh, we're, uh, we're recording this on a nice Sunday <laughs> evening here. Uh, it would be the 12th of November. Um. But yeah, we're gonna jump right in and uh, just kind of catch up here and see what's uh, see what we can make out of this. Um, usually, it's it's always good. So, but uh, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're good to go. Yeah, I mean, so coach, I know you just got back from a, a long little weekend trip here. Where, where were you at, and what were you doing? Uh, so we we've had EHLP games the last couple of days. Uh, my son Baron had a game uh, in Hingham, Mass. And then between that, we also had <laughs> we had the New Hampshire State tournaments for our 18s and 16s. So the 18s luckily played here in Laconia, which uh, they made the finals, but they lost in a really tough game in the finals. And then the 16s played in Keene, which is about almost two hours uh, southwest of Laconia, right on the, right on the Vermont-Massachusetts border. And my 16s played in that, and we had a great run. It was unbelievable. Such a a great playoff run our team experience, but we lost to a really good Seacoast Spartans team, uh, three to one in in the final, and uh, it was it was a great run for that team. But but we're, they're going to nationals and we're not, so uh, tough one. Oh, for sure, that's uh, definitely. I mean, that's great that you guys made that run in three one. That sounds like a close game. Well, I said you know I said to uh, one of our kids, Richie Vargas, great kid. Uh, you know, we, we had a really tough middle part of the season and he, you know, this, this fall season, it's just, it's just like 15 games and he, we're about game seven or game eight. And he was like, you know, I, I, I don't want to lose these games guys. I don't know why we're losing. Like he was, he, he was really frustrated. We had lost like two or three in a row. And I, you know, I said to him, I said, guys, individually, we've all really improved. Like everybody in, in the building sees how much your individual skills have improved. We just haven't had that team cohesion. We haven't gotten to that place yet where our team is being successful on the ice, but that'll come if you stay together as a team. And, uh, you know, I'm not a genius. So I was, I was, I was just hoping for the best, right. but, but sure as shit, man, we, we went on like an eight game run and we, uh, we ended up finishing fourth, but then we knocked off every seed in the playoffs, and we found ourselves in the finals. And it was it was a, a really great season. No, that's that's fantastic. Congrats! I mean, again, that's uh, I mean that that definitely right there shows growth. But you know, I got a good question on that. Um, you know, because it's a topic that's come up, you know, recently from other people I talked to. You know, again, throughout the season, and especially that type of season you have, where it's a very short window. Um, what like maybe two, three months tops. Um, if that, how do you like, I don't know. I've always felt as a coach, like unless the players truly stick out, like it sometimes it feels like it's tough to decipher if a player's really improved or not. And that's a, that's a good question. Uh, or I mean, maybe it's a lot of, statement, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, we had a lot of young players with this particular team. We had a lot of young players. We had a lot of, you know, we're a U16 team, but we had a number, we had like two or three players who were O nines. We had, four or five players who are 08, and then the rest of them were 07s, which is kind of most of the kids in the division are in that, that age group, mm-hmm. are at the 07 age, age level. Um, so you could see, like, 
the confidence in terms of their, their play on the ice, like beginning of the season, some of those 09s and 08s were like, you know, scared little kids out there. But then by the end of the season, they're making plays, and you can see like that's an obvious jump. Mm-hmm. But the 07s, um, probably this like you could see that, you know, our power play started to work. They started to understand the PK. Like we, we killed off in today's game. We probably killed off, you know, our <laughs> I don't ever have a problem with our team taking penalties, like like if they're good penalties, because I know th- I know that we're going to kill them, and we killed off I think it was seven power plays in the game. So, um, nice. you know, like uh, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> so, I, it is a lot for sure. But um, you know, they're not like they're not retaliatory penalties, or they're not like um, they're effort penalties. You know, like where a kid's diving for a puck and you might trip a kid or thing like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I I saw like growth in that, like they're. The understanding of the systems for those older kids and the younger kids, I saw like a, a noticeable improvement in their skill skill levels. What do you think, Trevor? I mean, it's one of those things where, again, like I said, I mean, in a short amount of time, and I think when you're moving kids up that level, maybe I guess it would be easier to see. Um, I've always felt it's tough to – for me, it's always been kind of tough just because I mentally focus on it so much away from the rink that even at the rink, like I think when you're just around people, I think I, I kind of like – I make it kind of like one of those things constituted as one of those things like in my mind where like weight loss, like if you're consistently looking yourself in the mirror while you're, you know, every morning when you after and you're going through a diet and you're working out, um, like you're not going to, I feel like you don't see those changes. Um, you know, and that's kind of, that's one reason why it derails a lot of people from losing weight. Um, but it's like, I guess one of those things where, you know, I might just try this myself, you know, take video from one game early in the season and then like play it in the middle of the season and just to kind of see that improvement. Cause I tell you, you know, like, oh, okay, take pictures, you know, once a week, you know, if, uh, in front of the mirror so you can see just the, those changes. Cause if you do it every day or if you step on the scale every day, you know, you're going to have ups and downs, but you're not going to really see that 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 uh that growth or you know in that situation the loss um um, or unless you're like me who just drinks pop and eats donuts and then you're gonna be growth but uh (laughs) but yeah so i mean that's one of the things where it's like tough where you know and it's like what is you know development like what are we what are you looking for i guess so i don't know i guess this is more of a coaching philosophical question (laughs) But but it's just one of those things where um you know, it's tough because you do sit there and you just you talk about players I know in the past we have where we said, Hey, you know, like, oh, is you know, I don't think so and so's really gotten, you know, he's really developed much or whatever. But I guess I've really never done anything to, you know, prove those theories or prove those, you know, hypotheses. So I don't know. I was... that, that's no, that's a good point though, Trevor. Like, um so uh, my first year in Laconia, we it was 2014-15. We dealt with it. We had a life coach who came out after a long weekend, and uh, she did a great job with the team. And we, you know, we we built a relationship. And we were talking about a lot of different things in terms of, you know, getting the team on the right track after that, you know, disappointing early weekend we had with our team. And uh, you know, we, I was going into a video session uh, with the team, and she said the. What are you going to look at? Are you going to look at the positives or the negatives? And it's like, well, I'm going to look at kind of a combination of both. And she said, just try looking at the positives. Don't look at any of the negatives. Like, don't even talk about that stuff. And in my head, I'm like, well, there's so many freaking negatives. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we got to clean up this. We got to clean up that. We got to we got to improve this. But I tried it, like, for like a month. I tried just looking at the positive plays. 
Okay, we had really good middle drive here. We made good decisions in the offensive zone here. Uh, this play in front of the net, like that was perfect body positioning. Um, our breakout looks really strong here, whatever it may be. Um, and lo and behold, like, you know, we get two months down the road and, and it felt really good. And the team had like a really good atmosphere and, and we started to win some games. And, and I kind of took that approach a little bit with this group where we're looking at for every one bad clip we're looking at, we're looking at two positive ones. And, um, the team started to feel good about itself. And I saw way more positive clips towards November than I did in September. So I think that's where I measure my growth a little bit in that, in that if I'm looking at a 60-minute game or a 45-minute game, that's what they play out here. Yeah. There was way more positive clips than there were negative clips. And even that was even in some losses too. Like, like oh, we played a good enough game here. We could have won um, because we're, doing the, we're playing the right way. So, um, you know, just focusing on the positive a little, little bit helps sometimes. No, I, I definitely like that. And I think that's, uh, you know, a great thing for – you know, as well, not only myself, but as for a lot of people out there to kind of start doing, because it's very, I feel like once you get in that, I feel like it's so much easier to be negative and f- you get that negative energy going and it just like com- compounds itself right on top of each other, like one thing after another. But when like something good happens, like you got that one good thing and then like it doesn't just continue to go. It just like it stops and then it's like back to, I, I don't know, it feels like negative energy is just so much not even energy, but negative negativity is just so much easier. It feels like, especially when you're a coach, like, or a player and you're just like, Oh, we can't do this. Or we're not doing this. Or, we're not doing that. And it's like, you know, I agree with you. Like looking at the positives, like, well, what are we doing? Well, how can we build off of that and turn our negatives or the things we need to work on? How can we build that into it? And so I do like that idea. Um, so it's something I will definitely put in my my coach's toolbook here. Uh, toolkit, not toolbook, but toolkit. <laughs> but uh, well, it's so easy to go down those wormholes sometimes, you know. Like if I get a pop, couple of pops in me on a on a Sunday <laughs> night, maybe you know, maybe all of a sudden I'm, I'm like really searching for Sasquatch or, or the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> you know, like there's some new footage out there that's really compelling, and you know, like uh, you gotta do it. But, <laughs> You got to do it. You got to go down there. But like, I got to have some discipline and say like, maybe I'm just going to focus on the positive here. Yeah. No. And that's, uh, I think it's just a good. Stay out of the wormhole. Exactly. Yeah. That rabbit hole can get nasty. But, uh, uh, so another, other news, I think since the last time you and I talked, uh, last, since last episode, there's been some, uh, there's a pretty big event, um, out in, I want to say it was the UK, um, Adam Johnson, hockey player, playing in the professional league out there, um, took a skate to the neck, um, and unfortunately, he passed away from his injuries. Um, there was a lot of media, clearly a lot of media attention to it, not only just the hockey world, but also you know sports and regular people in general. I mean, I was getting text messages about, oh, did you hear about this? And I'm like, do you even watch hockey? But, uh, um, you know, it was one of those things where now there's a big, there's a lot of discussion, and uh, rightfully so, um, you know, about the net guard debate. You know, should players wear them and should they have not? You know, should not should they not? And I don't know about on the East Coast, um, you know, primarily in New Hampshire for you guys, but uh, I do know that USA Hockey does not actually mandate the rule that you have to wear a neck guard. Uh, Hockey Canada does. Most of the European countries do. I mean, literally the next day, all of, um, I want to say again, the UK, um, 
they mandated all their lower levels to wear them. I even think the professionals had to wear them. But USA Hockey is still sticking to their guns of, um, well, let me backtrack a little bit on that. They were sticking to their guns where they're just saying they recommend it. Um, and now I've seen two emails in the last probably three, four days that USA Hockey first you know reinforced their what their thing was and then they said well it's going to be something we talk about in our just you know winter meetings coach what are your thoughts on the whole you know neck guards good bad ugly um you you know when you in favor of them you're not you know what are your thoughts well you know growing up in the 1980s the amount of i i have to send an apology out to every most you know every kid who existed on the jersey shore and <laughs> Between the ages of you know nineteen eighty five to nineteen ninety five, who I called a pussy for wearing a neck guard. Right. Yeah. I, I I have to take ownership over that. I apologize. Uh, I don't remember your name. I just saw your neck guard, and that's on me. And I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> now that I have a child, now that I have a kid playing hockey, um, my kid's wearing a neck guard, and I I I look at it like. Um, why would you not? Like, it doesn't really hinder any part of your performance on the ice. Like, it's not a cumbersome thing to put on a neck guard or some kind of, like, Kevlar or, like, um, you know, cut-resistant material on your neck. And it can it can save your life. And so I, I tend to view on the side of, like, uh, the parents, you know, convictions that, you, you know, you have to protect your kids. Um, in terms of, like, uh, where I see neck guards going in the next – you know, six to 12 months. I think if USA hockey, if they find a way to make money off a neck guard, they probably will <laughs> move forward with the neck guard initiative. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things, but, and I do think that kids, you know, the, the more you do, the more you see them, the less, um, you know, the, the, the less, uh, they are for like fodder for like making fun of kids. So I think that eventually we're going to get to that point where it's just like hockey Canada, where every kid is wearing a neck guard. And I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, you, you said it like, you know, like, uh, get, you know, making fun of guys like that wearing it. I mean, I, I look at it probably equated back to when guys probably were, were wearing visors back in the, you know, eighties and nineties, <laughs> you know, some of those guys, you know, especially the European players, cause that's what they wore, you know, and getting chirped for yep. having those giant windshields like Yari Curry was wearing. Um, I, you know, I, my look, I, I think anything that's good, that's protective, such as that, and it makes sense. Like, why? Just go for it. Every other hockey governing body is doing it. I don't see why USA Hockey is just not mandating it. I did read an article in The Athletic. I don't know if you read it or saw it. Uh, they did interview um, Dr. Stewart, who, as you know, both his two of his sons, I want to say, played in the NHL. And then his daughter, I want to say, was a... NCAA college uh, D1 player as well. Um, they interviewed him about it because he sits on, I think he either sits on or runs the, you know, USA hockey, whatever it is, the health and safety uh, portion of it. And, you know, his reasoning was why they hadn't mandated anything was that they were looking for one that they could, as you said, you know, kind of, you say profit. He never said profit, but uh, basically, like one that they could guarantee, like, oh, this meets all the specifications for you know the same ones that do like the helmets, uh, you know, for their, rec you know, the protectiveness, you know, all the safety ratings and stuff like that. 
from what I see from kids wearing neck guards, um, you know, again, I, I'm on, I, I'm for it. I'm okay with it. I, again, they're kids. Do I think the pros should be wearing them? I think it's up to them. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Um, you know, necessarily. I mean, it's, it is a freak accident. You know, I, I get it. If it saves one life, you know, that's, you know, good. But, um, you know, the one thing I see though is that, it is true. Like there's so many different brands out there and so many different styles of the neck guards. And I would say like 80% of them, kids aren't even wearing right or they're, they're not doing anything. They're not going to protect anything. Um, you know, some of them look like they're, they're small as necklaces, you know? Um, yeah. and out here in Chicago and Illinois, uh, we actually did have a mandate from the governing body that said, AI said that you have to wear them. Like it wasn't, recommended it was mandatory and i remember like refs would do checks like you got your neck guards i mean i remember one team we gotta we gotta send half the team off the ice because they forgot their neck guards and you know shame on me as a coach for not checking and looking but you know we had to send them off the ice to go get theirs um that we don't we don't have it this year um i don't believe we had it last year either but like the kids that i coach they don't have to now that being said a lot of them have started to wear them um but again like i i there's some of them, like, I just feel, again, I think they need to wear them, but seeing how poorly, not poorly, I guess that's not the right word, just, I, I feel like it's just how lackluster I feel like some of them are. I feel like they're just like a piece of cloth, like, what's the actual safety rating on some of these stuff? Now, I know yeah. TJ Oshi owns War Road Hockey, or he's a part owner, and his company was making them and they sure shit, they sold out of those like within a day. Um, those things were going for like almost, you know, 200 bucks between 120 to 200. I'm like, Holy crap. Um, you know, and it's like Kevlar or whatever. And you know what? He's wearing it. I mean, whether he owns the company or not, he's wearing it. So that's, you know, a good thing. Um, but I just, I, again, I think it's one of those pieces of equipment where it has to be worn right or why wear it at all. Um, and I mean, I, I tried wearing one at one point only because a game we played in defense on my team went behind the net. This is high school. I want to say four checker came in, uh, the defenseman fell with the puck. Uh, and again, it was incidental. Like it was nothing on purpose. The four checker just was skating around to get the puck. And as he was str- pushing off on his stride, he just accidentally nicked the defenseman's neck and he got him like just missed a major artery, but he got him to the point where he was bleeding wow. and they had to call an ambulance. Luckily we were right down the street from the hospital. Um, and there was a couple of parents who were worked in the medical field up in the stands. They stopped the game and we were all kind of shook up. Um, for sure. We still for played sure. the game afterwards. They sent us to the locker room. But I remember asking a player, like, hey, you know, or asking a team, has anybody got a neck guard? Like, I was kind of like, I don't, I mean, I was the first, or I want to say the second person back to him uh, and screaming for the coach. Like, it was just insane. Um, I remember putting it on and. Um, That's wild. I just did not like it. I did not like the feel. I skated through just kind of like the brief warm up period they gave us and. Like, I should probably say he was okay. He he he's still alive. Well, I don't know if he's still alive now, but he lived through that uh, incident. Um, but I I don't even remember if he played hockey again after that because I think it was like just so traumatizing for him. But I sure. I tried the neck guard. It wasn't for me at that time. Like I just didn't like it. The, you know the mobility. But 
I think we've come a long way in the last, you know, 13, 14 years since then. So, um, again, I just think it's a lot of it. Uh, I think it makes sense at the youth level, junior level. Just just do it. You know, the NHL is a little different. I agree with you, Trevor. And, and, you know, like and like you said, the technology's come a long way. Like the 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 focus of those that protective wear should really be on not impact, but on cut resistance. And it doesn't have to be like a thick, a thick neck guard. I mean, the stuff they used to make in the eighties and early nineties were like these big like Pillows. they had like a big plastic yeah, big and a big plastic piece, and it like it really was cumbersome. But now it's just focused on cuts and like having a material that is like cut resistance and 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 that that should be the focus for those kind of things. I very rarely see like a a puck hitting a kid in the neck or like a a stick hitting kid in the neck that causes kind of damage there. But but you do see these hor- horrific injuries involving cuts, and I think that should be the focus of that thing. Um, you know, in terms of like the discrepancy of of injuries from one protective gear to another, like you know, we have rules in some leagues for wearing earpieces. We have rules in some leagues for wearing cat eye. Yeah. Um, goaltender, goaltender, like uh, cat eye masks or rules for mouth guards. I mean, the mouth guard issue, they don't prevent concussions. That's been completely debunked. Yep. Um, the cat eye, I, I've been around cat eye, you know, masks for probably 35 years and I've never seen a puck go through a cat eye mask. Right. Uh, I guess they can, but I've never seen it. But I have seen, you know, issues with skates to necks and, and, and potential injuries and cuts that result from that. So, um, you know, I'd be I'd be more willing to – if my kid wanted to wear a cat eye mask, if he was a goaltender, I, I'd say, okay, that's fine. But he's going to wear a, a neck guard going forward because it's just – why not? They're, they're so – now nowadays, they're, they're, they're not very lightweight material that is cut resistant. It's not like that big – you know, one, yeah. plastic pad on your neck, you know? No, definitely. And again, I mean, uh, condolences to the Johnson family and all that, that for sure. you know, and you hate for something like that to happen that, you know, changes everything. You hate for somebody to lose their life to make like suddenly a, a rule change that seems, especially at the youth age, where it should seem just, you know, it, it should be obvious. And again, unfortunately, I don't have the power to tell my team like, yeah, I do as a coach, but you know, I don't have the ability to say oh, all the kids have to wear neck guards. You know, if I do that, you know, I'm gonna have, I could have a few of those parents are like, I don't think I would, but you never know. Like you have parents say, oh no, my kid's not gonna wear one. This, this, and that. You know, whatever. So, I really hope that USA Hockey does come in and just say, yeah, we're we're making a sweeping thing. Your kid's got to wear a neck guard. It has to cover this portion of his neck. You know, and it's one of those things you hate them to have to put on the refs to like make monitor, but. And in the coaches as well, but um, it just makes sense. it makes too much sense at this point to have it. And um, you know, what? I think the pros should be the pros are the pros. You know, I know the next thing. You know, I know there was a lot of uproar on social media about well, why don't we just have the pros wear masks or cages? And it's just like okay, let's first of all, the NHL is never going to go for that because then they're not going to be able to promote their athletes because nobody will know what they look like. Um, and that's one publicity thing they don't want to do. I, and I just think that, I don't know, I don't think that's the right way to go either. Um, you know what? You're going to get hit in the face, whatever. That, that's something different. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think that uh, pretty much covers the net guards. Um, I just hope that they... Yeah, you know, in terms of, like, that stuff too with the NHL, like, 
You know, those are adults. You got some guys who are 35, 40 years old. They can make decisions on their own. And um, that's that's why we live in a, a <laughs> that's why we live in America. <laughs> we live in a know? society, folks. Yeah. And we live in a society, folks. And um, I, I do think that if they put cages on everybody, like made, made mandatory, like you have to wear cages or, you know, visors or like eye tech, like full cages. Okay. I think that'd be a, I think that'd be tough for the league too, because like you said, it's, it's marketing for those athletes. And uh, that's the personality of the game. Now, if a, if a person wants to wear one, like you know, for different reasons, like Pat Lafontaine wore one when he was injured and had a broken jaw. Yeah. I've seen different guys who had different things. Like that's that's a different ball game altogether. But um, that should be a personal choice at a certain point. And again, if a guy wants to wear one, go ahead. I mean, good luck. You're probably not going to be the most popular player in the league. But um, you know, I mean, who cares? Like, there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't. But um... I wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing goalies go back to like the Dominic Hassan <laughs> Archer's Urbe combination. That'd be pretty good. Those Itex, yeah. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. those oh, yeah. those are fun. That was that's personality right there. And the worst part, not even the worst part, but crazy part was Hasek liked to save pucks with his head too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he'd headbutt because yeah, he was a soccer sure. player. You know, that's the other thing you did. Oh my gosh, oh, man. But all right, that's uh, another that's a wormhole we could go down. But so. We we do have we do have we had check some uh, check coaches visit us this this week. Oh okay. And How was that? Yeah, it, knew, it was it was awesome. The, the guys from Czech Republic are the best, and they came out and did some skill sessions with our, our players, and you know they stayed over in Laconia, and it was it was really a lot of fun. But uh, I had my son Baron and his son and his friend Franklin come out for a skate with just one of the check coaches, and and they were like, uh, "Are there any Czech players in the NHL?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well." You know, on the Bruins, there's Pasternak. He's pretty good. But then you might have the greatest goalie of all yeah. time, Dominic Hasek, as a Czech player. Oh, yeah. And you also have a pretty good player named Yarmer Yager. Right. Who was a Czech player. So there's some pretty good players from the Czech, Czech Republic. Absolutely. I, I don't care. I still think that uh, Hasek is the greatest goalie to play in the modern era, at least right now. Um, But I'm sure that – I've shown clips to my – to my my kids of Hasek and Nets, like those you know NHL top one hundred all time. Yeah, and it's like, who is this person? What is <laughs> what what is he doing in there? And it's wild. It's it's amazing and wild, and, but it revolutionized the game. Because yeah, I mean, he didn't have a style. He just played hockey, and he he didn't care what it was. All he he cared about was making the save. So. Yeah, that uh, that might be a good topic for another day for sure. I'll have to write that down here and uh, check players. But uh, all right, we'll have, to, we'll have to bring it up to Joe next time we have Joe Britannia. There we go. Oh, that's true. So, uh, Coach, why don't we uh, talk about our guests that we have uh, for this week's episode? Absolutely. So we want to really get into the topic of in-season strength and conditioning. That's a real topic of and focus for a lot of organizations as they move into the winter months here. For their, you know, their athlete seasons. And, um, we brought on Neil Breen. Neil Breen has been a coach at all sorts of different levels from the USHL to the North American Hockey League to the EHL. Um, and he was a fantastic player at Quinnipiac University. And now he's the USHL's, uh, Omaha Lancers strength and conditioning coach. And he's got a great background. And, uh, I think he gives a lot of, a lot of insight. Yeah. Let's definitely, uh, take a listen here. All right, Toolkit listeners, we have on with us Neil Breen. Neil Breen was a former player at Quinnipiac University, the 2023 national champions. 
And he's also coached in the North American Hockey League, the USHL, and the EHL. And now he's the strength and conditioning coach for the Omaha Lancers in the USHL. Welcome aboard, Neil. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're really excited to have you. Uh, A couple questions about strength and conditioning right off the bat I got for you is in-season conditioning. What is the focus for you with your athletes? Uh, A couple different things. Like, you get a myriad of... I mean, it really depends on what league you're in and what level you're at. So, you know, like in the USHL, every every guy on my roster has got a D1 commit, pretty much, with the exception of maybe one, you know, a couple guys, usually. <clears throat> so, you know, and they come with at different levels, right? So if they've been in the league for a, for a bit, then their stability is where it needs to be to some degree, and you're looking to get as much gains as you can before they go off to college, right? If it's their senior year in the league or whatever. So, but then you also get a lot of like, you know, freshman to rookie guys. I hate to use the term rookie, um, but you know, the newer guys come in, maybe they come out of high school hockey. Like we got a couple of guys come that are just unbelievable hockey players, right? I think a couple of them will go and, you know, in the top rounds uh, in the NHL, but, Right, they have a few things with stability to figure out, single leg proficiency and stuff like that. So it really like it, it's hard to say one thing that you're putting an emphasis on on one on on in season. It really it really depends on the level that you're at and and who you're dealing with, right? Like, you know, I got I got Chase uh Cheslock, who's a you know, a New Jersey Devils uh draft pick and he's I mean, the kid's got it together. His range of motion's really good. It's, he explodes really well. He's, you know, he's he's his single leg and and single appendage proficiency is is out of control. Good, right? So, a kid like that, you're sort of <clears throat> you're t- sort of teaching him like little tips and tricks to get him above where he's at already. You know, um, so it just really depends. I'm always trying to get gains in season. A lot of coaches sort of don't believe in that. They're trying to kind of keep it low key and do range of motion flexibility stuff. I, you know, my guys are doing like 80, 85% uh, max lifts and stuff. So, you know, like we don't, we don't mess around. <laughs> no, I love that. You know, you see so many times that just guys want to maintain throughout the season, but you know, you have a lot of downtime and you can, you can maximize that time. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, uh, when you have a body that's, you know, 16 to 20 years old, it's primed, you know, with a lot of HGH is flowing through that blood. You know, the the tendons and the ligaments are, you know, are in primo shape for the most part. Even guys with, you know, like the big scare lately is like guys that have previous injuries. Everybody worries about that. And I don't because... You know, like the body heals itself, I've learned uh, over the years. And uh, so, you you know, so like if you teach it the right way, if you teach the development of the athlete the right way, right, if you teach the whole athlete, you don't, yeah, you don't, you can, you can kind of pick up right where you left off from the summer if you do it the right way, you know, Uh, because these guys recover so quick. It's insane. That's amazing. Now, you know, your playing days really probably ended maybe 15, 20 years ago. What have you seen from the time of your playing days 
to where you're dealing with athletes now, that evolution of strength and conditioning within hockey? Uh, yeah, we all used to train like football players. <laughs> uh, it's true. Uh, you're right. You know, like, uh, I mean, I remember even our, uh, getting to the first season in D1 at Quinnipiac, we had a guy named Mike Bouchard who who still works in at Northford Ice Pavilion, I believe, uh, with uh, MB Fitness. He's unreal, this guy. And, like, that was the first time that I had kind of been introduced to like real, you know, fitness, uh, outside of like my father worked as a general manager in the Western hockey league. And, you know, like they had fitness people working with them, but not to the level of like, of what, uh, you know, Quinnipiac was doing and what, you know, he brought in like Mikey, Mike, not Mike Boyle, but he brought in Bouchard who knew the game of hockey, right. He played at a high level and that like kind of, changed everything for me as an athlete for sure and i you know in the past like you know you, you you still see it actually like guys training hockey players like football players right they're doing a bunch of back squat and a bunch of double leg stuff which is like what are you doing you know like yes you do you have to do some double leg stuff sure but not very much you know especially in season you should be doing a lot of single leg stuff so now now you're seeing a lot more guys that are that have played the game, you know, that at a high level and, and, and that are now back in, into fitness. Like before, when, when I played, you didn't really have that. You didn't have too many guys that played at a high level and understood what it, what it takes to get there. And you didn't have those guys training you. You had guys that were like, you know, they played, you know, semi-pro football or something. And they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause not a lot of guys making it in hockey. I mean, you're talking, small numbers, you know, right? So now it's like you got a lot of influences and stuff that of guys that have played and like the Mikey Boyle who I was a big influence for Bouchard when when we were there. And and then like through the years, you know, you've learned you learned like uh lots of lots of cool stuff uh of the guys who actually made it and were successful. And that's how you're supposed to teach it, right? But you still have guys out there doing the the football track. <laughs> and before I turn it over to Trevor uh, with some questions, my last question for you, Neil, is if you could give a piece of advice to any young hockey player and how to prepare themselves for the next level, having seen all the different levels yourself, what would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, that's a great – I mean, that's a good question because – and I answer it the same every time, right? Like the way that you make it honestly – guys is literally like hard work determination and dedication like literally every day you need to put in the work uh and that's uh, like the weaknesses the strengths you got to get on the sheet every day or and if you can't do that then you get on the roller blades or you get in front of a net like it really take it literally takes that kind of dedication i didn't have like sure i had like girlfriends and stuff but like they always knew that hockey was the priority and everyone around me knew that hockey was the priority. And my friends, I, I made a lot of sacrifices and, and most people, a lot of kids today, they don't get that. The ones that you see it, like I'm at that level now, right? When you coach in the Eastern hockey league and then you make a jump to the, to the USHL or you coach in the USPHL, which I've, I've coached in that league too. 
and you jump to the USHL, you see the difference between the two leagues, right? And these guys, like, they're putting in the extra work. They're These guys are, like, you know, they're grinding. They're at that top, you know, 10% of their age group, right? So they're trying to be that that 3%. Everybody's coming to me for advice, extra advice, and and things like that. So be that guy. Be the student of the game. Be the guy that is always wanting to learn more about how to prepare your body for war. That's a great response. You know, I had actually a kid the other day. One of the coaches was talking to me about him, and he was like, uh, you know, this particular kid, I think he's got a lot of potential, a lot of talent. He could really make it to the next level. And I said, I, I don't know. He's never asked me a question the whole season. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he's going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. You worry about that sometimes, right? Like, if they think they know it all, then they're not going to make it. For sure. Trevor, what do you got for Neil? All right, well, thanks for Mr. Know-It-All to pass it over to me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Neil, thanks again for coming on. Um, My question really is a couple questions. Uh, First one, how long long have you been doing this uh, off-ice work? Oh, boy. So... When I started my career as a coach, I started with the on-ice and off-ice development, and I never stopped doing it. So probably 20-plus years. Like Usually I'm involved with the training in some way, shape, or form. Even if I'm not doing it myself, I'm probably designing it or I'm in charge of hiring it. There's been some years when you know, I've done it all myself or I've – I've I've subbed it out and they're teaching my curriculum. So I I've, I've pretty much been doing this for 20 plus years. So in the last 20 years from let's say when you started to now, what are you seeing some of the biggest differences amongst players coming in? Um maybe both positive and negative. Uh so positive I think skill development wise kids are coming in highly skilled right small area games skilled you know hands you know smooth skills with their hands and things like that i'm seeing a lot of that and and you can you can tip the hat to all of the apparatuses and things out there that guys are stick handling through that's popular lately i mean that's all great stuff uh you know and just the whole USA Hockey's pushed towards uh, – Hockey put a big emphasis on the ADM model, with, which pushed everybody into like this whole small area game thing. Go upstairs, please, now. And I think that that, that in itself lended, you know, lended that big push for skills. But I think there was a, there's always been a big hole in hockey off ice, you know, especially when I was playing. Uh, you know, to sort of connect the two. Now, I think when McDavid, like you'll see now, like the kids are starting to make a little bit more of a connection. Like McDavid, there's so much content now to see what players are doing off the ice and what people are doing to train these athletes off the ice. These, you know, like in some of it good, some of it bad, right? Like some of it's like ridiculous what they're doing. It's like, what are you doing? Uh but like I don't, you know, like I don't pay attention to a lot of that. But you, you kind of have to, right, to see what what kids are learning. And I think that the big, the the thing that's missing, like that's all good. The skill stuff is all great. 
the thing that's missing is the connectivity between the two, right? Like, like the off ice component being important, right? Guys training appropriately for hockey, like single appendage training is what I always say. You should never be really training too much on two feet. Always one, right? Or always, you know, always testing your balance. That's mm-hmm. hockey, right? But I'm also seeing that, you know, on the like a lot of the on ice skill stuff is what's lacking is the puck protection, the explosiveness from down low, the the punch turns and things like that. That the the Clark, you know, the the Clark Cup winning teams and the you know the the uh, the championship winning teams have right like uh, you know the, these are the players that are hard to find the two hundred foot players the name of my company actually yeah um, these are the players that are impossible to find these are the these are what all the coaches want they want the players that can play on both sides of the puck they can possess the puck for long periods of time right these are these are the unicorns of hockey right and and unfortunately like. You go out there and you look for people that teach this stuff out there, and and it's just it's just not it's not there. There's not a lot of people doing it. Like what you watch the Boston Bruins, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, like you watch, you know, like you you watch the the Oilers, and you're not seeing the same thing necessarily. You're seeing a different kind of game, but the you know, but. The Oilers aren't making the playoffs very much, right? With the way they play, absolutely not. And the Bruins are. So that's, you know, like I think if we're gonna say like the positive is like the skill is off the charts, the speed. You know, the kids are getting smarter, and people are getting smarter about the training of of hockey players with the skill and the speed on the ice, right? But what we got to get back, what we got to find is that how are we connecting like these off ice explosiveness and stuff to, to, to a more like puck protection, if you will, more grit uh, game. Cause that's what kids need to get from last year of junior to a successful first year of college hockey is I don't care if that's D three D two D one, whatever, even ACHA cause ACHA let make no mistake is really good now. Yeah. So if a kid wants to do really well, in that first year and not ride pine or, or sit up there and eat popcorn next to his girlfriend or, you know, or whatever, (laughs) you know, uh, you got to understand this piece that I'm talking about, which is that protecting puck, possessing the puck, right? You know, I may not be a guy who can go down and, 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 you know, place pucks in the top shelf all day. But what my, what I did and made a career out of is I own the corners. Like I get a puck in the corner, like you're not taking the puck from me. It's not happening, and I'm not giving it up until I have a pass to my, to one of my line mates, and that's, if you ask me, that's why the Boston Bruins are successful because they have a bunch of guys like that. No, absolutely, I don't disagree with that at all. It's, uh, it's one of those things that has been holding back a lot of those talented teams is that they've got so much talent, but not enough guys that are willing to play that 200 foot game. Right, I think it's the biggest hole in hockey currently. Like. It's less, and I think it's maybe it's a scare thing. Like I even got the scare, right? Like I had some brain problems, and the first thing I did was blame hockey and and so on, right? But but now that I'm healed and realize that the brain can actually heal itself and the body can heal itself, uh, you know, I'm I'm back on the train of 
you got like the game. You need to teach this kind of toughness aspect of the game because it protects players. I mean, look at look at what's happening. I mean, kids are. I think the reason why we're getting so many concussions is because of the sort of softening of everything. We're not. We gotta. We gotta stay hard. That's our game, right? We gotta. Yeah. We gotta stay rough and tumble. That's our. That's our game, fellas. I love it. That's awesome. Well, so that's why I started my company, Two Hundred Feet. It, like. What we do is we we teach puck protection. We teach net front skills, like to to you know if you're in front of the net on the power play, like you're going to be a savage in front of the net if you work with us. You, you know, uh, uh, in the corners, you're going to own the corners if you work with us. Like I'll basically teach the game I played for for my career, and it works. Like kids are putting it in their game right away. I mean, watch watch youth hockey today and see how many kids are protecting pucks. I'm I'm living it, yeah. Yeah, and if you put a kid out there that knows actually how to protect pucks, even if he's limited in skill, he's going to be an absolute savage out there because nobody knows even what to do with that. The refs are calling everything under the sun too. So if he starts protect, if his possession time's up over like ten, fifteen seconds a shift, right? Like kids are going to get upset about that. They're going to be uh, that they can't get the puck from him. And now they start taking penalties, and boom, you're going to win every game. Like so, that's why I think now's the time for 200 feet to take off, and you know, so good for me. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I think the sport needs to change. Like coaches need to be better about teaching that protection game. Like make it a part of your practice every day. Is what I say. I mean, that's what I've done for years. I've done that, and I have a pretty good track record of moving players on to college. Like a very good track record. So, well, I mean, my other question was, uh, your you said your dad was a GM on the Western Hockey League. Um, what made you decide to go and play the college route instead of trying to play major junior? Yeah, that's a great question. I get that one a lot too. Uh, yeah, I was actually drafted pretty high up in the in the Western League draft too by the Tri City Americans after my dad stopped working for them, mind you. <laughs> hey, no, no nepotism. That's good. <laughs> but uh yeah so I went pretty high in the draft and and like that probably would have been a good move for me just the type of player I was like I like to mix it up um but I just had this bug you know everybody like I you know my family wanted me to go to college and yeah so that was the thing like I I wanted basically what happened was I marched into the office uh, I think it was Tim Speltz was the GM at the time in Spokane, the Western League, I marched in that office. I said, I said, like, hey, I, you know, like I got got picked up by Tri Cities. I'd really like to play at home. You know, what do you think, Spelts? And he's like, yeah, you know what, Breener, I don't think you're gonna play pro hockey. So you, you know, we're not gonna take a look at you. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, crushing my dreams. <laughs> so, you know, so that was it. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go the college route. Oh, makes sense. All right. That's all I got for today. What do you got? Anything else, Coach? No, I, I, Coach, this has been great. I really appreciate you jumping on. And So once again, thanks to Neil Breen for uh, jumping on the podcast with us. I thought Neil uh, provided a ton of insight into what he does with his athletes with, with, with the Omaha Lancers and also kind of his personal backstory about uh, his growth within the game and within the program and uh, within Omaha and also his hockey career. So thanks again, Neil. 
Uh, Trevor, what are kind of the things that you took from that conversation? Um, you know, I, again, I really like, uh, again, thanks Steel, for coming on. Um, you know, it's, uh, and we didn't even get to, you know, really talk too much about it, uh, with him, but yeah, as you said, his background's really interesting. Uh, one of the things was he was an MMA fighter, which I didn't even know until like halfway through, uh, when I was just looking up some more info about, you know, stuff that I could talk to him about, but, uh, I thought that was wild. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I did like, you know, what he was talking about, how um, he's not afraid to kind of push kids for gains in the middle of the season uh, or throughout the yes. season where a lot of people are more or less, you know, they're very hesitant about that. Um, you know, and again, I think it's, I don't know what the right way is and the wrong way. I'm not, I, I, I didn't major in that, uh, any kinesiology or anything of that nature, but uh you know, I, I do know that there's some people that don't, you know, they don't want to do those gains uh, or push that, you know, that much. But I think when you're working at that younger age, I mean, it does make a little sense, um, you know, at the junior level, because you do want these kids to be putting on some type of muscle throughout the season. Um, you know, th- that was one of the big things. I did like his discussion about the, uh, you know, telling us about how, you know, the choice between playing in the you know WHL as well as or going the college route. Um, and I think that was, that was a pretty, pretty interesting conversation, especially when he had, you know, family ties to going up and playing the dubs. So, uh, those are, I mean, two things that I took away for sure. How about yourself, coach? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting too. Like he, he diverged on that path of like trying to play, play professional hockey or going the college hockey route. And he chose Quinnipiac, which at that time he was going there was kind of making that transition from division three hockey to Division One NCAA, and uh, they were part of that new MAC conference, which now is um, really grown and become Atlantic Hockey. And Quinnipiac is uh, even now a national championship team. So um, it was fun learning a little bit about that his decision making process and that. Um, and then, like you said, I, I loved how he kind of talked about um, some of the stuff that he likes to focus on with his athletes that. Um, some of the old movements that were really popular when he was growing up, you know, training like a football yeah, player, yep. that that's not really what's, you know, in vogue and what's really encouraged now, that it's more about single leg movements and core work and uh, explosiveness, which is, you know, when you really put the bits and pieces together, that's what a hockey player is all about. So it was a great conversation. No, and definitely. And uh, again, we, you know, we appreciate him coming on. And, uh, you know, it was fun. It was uh, two for two where we had guests on, uh, the folks at home want to know, but two for two where their, their youngsters decided they wanted to get involved in the interview. So that was always funny there that, uh, <laughs> so but it was, it was, it was all good. And we, again, uh, Neil, thanks again for coming on. So, uh, coach, I think that takes us to our, uh, five minutes here. We got the five myths of in-season strength and conditioning training. Trevor, you got the first one, right? Yeah, I got one, three, and five. That uh, you know, so I'm gonna not steal your number two, but I'm going to definitely take uh, the myth of um, that you shouldn't be lifting during the season. Um, I know that there's some coaches out there that are of the belief like you shouldn't be doing that. Um, you shouldn't be, you know, doing as you said heavy lifts and stuff like that. And as we've learned, like, yeah, we don't want to be doing necessarily, like, football lifts and stuff like that. Um, But there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing that, especially, you know, on your off days. Um, 
you know, you obviously within teams, you should, you know, you should be seeing or talking to somebody who knows at least more about this stuff than I guess I do, but uh, more than, you know, talking to, uh, you know, a trainer, um, you know, like, hey, what should I do, you know, for rest days or what should I be working on here, this and that. Um, but there's no reason that you should just solely rely on what you're doing on the ice to be your only form of getting stronger or faster or better. I couldn't agree more. I think that, like, actually, if you just focus on just the on ice, like, and you're not focused on your recovery and also your, um, your, your the building of your your body through strength off ice strength training, then your body's going to break down and, you, and you're going to be more susceptible to injury. So I I totally agree with you, Trevor. Well, I appreciate that. What do you got for number two? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pumping your tires. I, I do. I, well, I, I they you're inflating them. That, that's for sure. You know, it, it feels good to be like just validated all the time, right? I I don't think it, I have anywhere else where I get this much validation. So I gotta <laughs> savor it while I can. That's why well, we record it. I think I, do they do they call this preaching to the choir? Yes. Is that what they call the, it? Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> Hi, my number two is don't lift on game days. I would say on that one that you have to lift on game days, but just maybe not before the game. Most NHL players and players that I've associated with, they, um, you know, they'll stretch out prior to the game. They'll have a normal pregame ritual. They'll play the game and then they'll do a workout after the game. That way that they can recover in time for their next game. And I think that's a common myth that's missed missed out in a lot of people that like lifting within that 24-hour period um, that you shouldn't do it but actually if you do it at the right time it actually can keep your body in really good shape as the season progresses no definitely I mean you and you see it all the time I mean there's videos upon videos upon videos of guys training you know throughout the season whether it's you know most of the times it's after games but uh, I mean you do see it before games as well um just doing some types of, you know, whatever. I, I even strength, whether it's aerobic, whether it's, um, you know, just plyometrics, anything. You do see it, so there's no reason why you can't do it. Oh, and to bring up another Czech player, you know, like Yarmer Yager, right? <laughs> yep. No, no, I didn't. I didn't think of that when I when I typed that out, but um, he was, you know, you're about to steal my next one. But go ahead, you go. I know. Oh, no, no, I, I, I'll let I, you I, go. No, no, go, go for it, because I. It's okay. It'll it'll segue into mine. But everybody was before his retirement from you know, the, the NHL. Now he's still playing in, in check. But uh, everybody would talk about how much he would work out after the game. You know, running the bleachers, doing extra skill work on the ice, uh, doing the bike for endless amount of hours. And that, you know, obviously he's 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 almost fifty years old and he's still playing. You're missing one piece, but uh, I'll, 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 oh, it's like okay. It. okay. I'll, I'll lead into it. Number number three is uh, uh, using weights on the ice is okay or or is fine um and i think i'm gonna it's a little tricky here what i'm trying to say so so work with me here everybody okay um so you talked about yager yager was also famous for wearing ankle weights during training especially after games you know just to really get those legs you know and again again the guy's jacked like you know the much how much he squats i remember reading Stories about when he was young back in the Czech, how he would be lifting like tires um, on barbells just just for added weight because uh, he didn't have, you know, actual weights. So he's using tires um, and the big ones too, right? Um, 
So, you know, there's a lot of different tools you can use out there. Weighted vests. Uh, there's They got stick weights, weighted pucks. Um, you know, so where I'm going with this is, uh, should you use them? I think you can. But I, I think the one thing that really needs to be hammered home is, especially with we're talking about like a weighted stick or a weighted puck, um, is that you want to make sure the technique's right. And I think that's no different than any any type of weightlifting that you're doing. Um, let's say off the ice. If your technique's wrong, you're either going to... Well, weightlifting, especially if you're doing squats or something of that nature, um, like single leg squat, hack squats or anything, whatever it is. You want to make sure... If your technique's not good, you're, you're going to... First of all, you're going to risk... Could risk injury. Um, the other sec, the other part, though, is that you're, you're not going to get the full full amount out of that workout and you might not be developing things correctly i remember having kids come out to like a goalie clinic a couple times and they'd have like these you know the like a five pound bag of like just there was a five pound bag that you could wrap around your stick so that it was just um you know i say bag loosely it was like probably like five pounds worth of sand that would just like put like a weight down at the bottom towards the blade of the stick and I'd watch this kid shoot, you know, shoot the puck. And I'm like, I don't know why you're using the weights. You, I mean, you can't even shoot the puck right yet. And you know, you got awful form. This is not going to help you that much. If at all, um, no different than the weighted pucks. You know, if you've got kids, you know, passing those things, well, it's great if you can move it from one side to the other, but if it looks like it's, you know, a butterfly out on the ice, that's, you're not doing something <laughs> right. So, um, I think you need to make sure that the technique and everything is is done correctly before you bring those products, you know, those training aids in um, to increase, you know, again, you know, you want to say your strength or your agility or whatever, especially on the ice. Trevor, I couldn't agree with you more, actually. Like that, that's a a funny thing you mentioned because, um, you know, those, those weighted sticks have been really popular over the last, I'd say five, six years. And, um, you know, anytime you mess with the mechanics of your shot to to um, accommodate a, a tool that you're using, it doesn't translate to the actual performance on the ice. Sometimes, sometimes, right. and I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to discredit everything because I'm not a scientist or, no. you know, right? <laughs> yeah, but but I found that like those weighted sticks are great for stick handling off the ice. They increase your hand speed. Uh, they increase, increase your grip strength. But like for like shooting a shooting a wrist shot for for say like that quick release like a Connor Bedard the way he shoots you can't do that with with a heavily weighted stick but um it, it kind of encourages that long sweeping motion which we used to see back in the you know the 80s and 90s right um and then things like um those weighted pucks like the weighted pucks I don't think they're great for shooting either no, like I've seen weighted, weighted pucks break the glass here on the surface at the rink uh, they know that I'm currently in now but I think they're good for Past receptions, yes. Like training a kid to like have soft hands and you know and cup the puck. Like that's so. Like every tool has a purpose, but it's identifying that purpose that makes it uh, used. You know, when it's used correctly, that's that's the ideal method. Absolutely. So, what do you got, number four, coach? Number four. Number four is going to be a good one. <laughs> I love how you wrote it too. What's that? I said I love how yeah. you wrote it. Well, I had I had a coach that, yeah, my 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 my, my terminology for sure. Um, 
I had a coach that I coached with, and he was like, oh, we're only doing Olympic lifts. Only doing Olympic lifts. And I was like, oh, okay. Are we training Olympic athletes? <laughs> right, yeah. And he was like, and he was like, and he was like, you know, it's just one of those things, whatever. Um, Olympic lifts are not the bestest. <laughs> like, you're training hockey players. Like, you're training guys to be athletic. Like, to do just, you know, 500 pound squats does not make you a better skater. To do just. 700 pound deadlifts does not make you a better hockey player. No. To do a 300 pound bench does not make you a better hockey player. You should do athletic movements that incorporate balance and coordination, athleticism, but also that increase your strength within that, within those constraints. And, uh, I think Olympic lifts sometimes, um, although they're like good on paper, like tell people, like if you go to the bar and be like, oh, you know, yeah. I bench, I bench 350 today, bro. You're like, that's okay. That's fun. But, like, I don't know if that makes you a better hockey player. I had a uh, – I remember when I think I was – I want to say I was a sophomore going into my – or I was going into my sophomore year uh, at the high school I was at. We had, we would have rat hockeys in the summer. One week is just a sheet of ice. And, I mean, I went every week because ice was ice and it was free for us. Um, but we had some alumni come back. And uh, one player who was at the time at Iowa State um, playing for their division – ACHA Division Two or whatever one team, real good player, and I remember like you know we were just he just was heads and tails so good out on the ice and again granted he had like four years five years on us but he was a good player to begin with and I mean he was kind of he was kind of muscular he was kind of built but I just remember he used to tell us. <laughs> He's just like, you know, make sure that you guys aren't, you know, wasting your time doing, you know, like bicep curls and stuff. He goes, you know, those curls for the girls, man, they don't matter for hockey right now. And he's like just going on about all these different things. I'm just like, dude, just don't kill me. Um, but he was also just like, <laughs> I just remember him, you know, he was, you know, he was just so fast, but like off the ice, like you wouldn't, you couldn't even tell, like, you know, again, like I said, like you could tell he probably lifted or something, but he wasn't, you know, a guy that was doing, as you said, like five hundred pound deadlift or deadlifts or whatever. Um, and it's always funny, yeah, like those football lifts and stuff. Like it's how much more and more those guys, how much it's changed in the last however many years. You know, how many of the players are now doing yoga? You know, Pilates. Yeah, you absolutely. know, like they went from doing all these heavy things, you know, lifting heavy shit, which you still they still need to. Don't get me wrong, but just how much the and again, just the research that we've learned as a you know a society, a sports society on it. So um, I agree with you on that one. And then uh, I guess I'll just close it out here with number five that uh, you need to make sure that you're doing something every day. Um, and I, it's clearly a myth. I mean, it's something this is, should be pretty much easy, but I don't, do know people who feel like if they don't do something training wise every day, it's not good. Um, I think you really do need to, I mean, you do it's scientifically proven. You need recovery days. You need to take a day off. You need to let your body reset and, you know, recover. That's why they're called recovery days. Um, you know, but a lot of, you know, you don't want to get overextended. Again, we're talking about players that are playing games, practicing weekly, daily. Um, you know, taking a day off is good for you. It's good for your body. Um, you know, those are things that you want to do. Now, taking numerous days off just to take days off because you're lazy, that's not good. Um, but really focusing and paying attention to your recovery, your sleep, uh, what you're eating, you know, what you're feeling your body with. 
Um, those are all important things as well, just as much as lifting or any type of strength training within the season. Um, and I think, you know, growing up, I wish I would have known that a little bit more and I, I probably wouldn't have. No, I probably still would have stayed up a little bit later, but, uh, you know, I would have gotten a little bit more sleep or tried to eat a little bit better. Um, I think that's an area that really the younger group doesn't focus on um, until, like, it's too late. So, Yeah, I agree with you, Trevor. The only thing I'd say on that is that um, I think kids, you know, if they do need a two- or three-week break from – Heavy lifting and being on the ice, like that's okay too. Like, oh, for sure, that you know, part, yeah, it, yeah. Like, I mean, I think there's there's a element of burnout that happens sometimes when when you you know if you think you got to train every day, but if you do give yourself that one pleasure day of not of taking a day off, uh, I think you might need a month off. You might need three weeks off um, because because you don't want to get burned out. Like that's the biggest. That's the biggest uh, hurdle in many hockey players' careers is that that burnout effect. I agree, but coach, this was the five minutes of in-season training. Ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's someone's yep. got travel brain. <laughs> it's all right, yep. but I don't think that's on me. I don't think you're wrong, though. I mean, I think if you know when guys go home from the holidays, like you don't have to be overextending yourself, you know, going crazy. Um, but I, I would definitely suggest in the middle of the season you know, to find those recovery days. And again, I mean, let me ask this question with the wolves. Do you guys have a fitness trainer, uh, strength and conditioning coach, uh, on staff? We don't, but we have, um, you know, coach Coons and I have a really good background with a lot of that stuff. And, um, we'll bring in specialists during the season. Like, so we have like a yoga instructor that comes in every single Thursday who just does yoga with our athletes. And, you know, we set the standard with our, uh, with our strength and conditioning, like weekly, um, daily workouts. So we have a good background on that, but I, you know, I see the value of, of obviously having, a, having a really dedicated strength and conditioning coach for a lot of programs. I think it's, I think it's a great way that, uh, you know, a lot of programs have taken that, that, that next step with it, with their off ice for sure. No, definitely. I was just, just curious. Cause yeah, I mean, I do know that when I was, uh, doing my scouting with Rochester, they were very fortunate to get to work out of, uh, the Mayo Clinic out of uh, actually where Dr. Stewart works out of uh, his home office was on uh, their hockey, uh, their their little hockey lab they had, which was the, one of the coolest things I ever saw. But uh, I think that's something that's definitely needs to be on the forefront of players' minds and looking for potential, you know, junior clubs. Um, you know, again, yourself and, you know, Coach Tim got your own backgrounds and that stuff. You know, you want to make sure wherever you're going that they've got somebody or they are providing access to some type of facilities that can give you that information and can help you. Um, because that's, again, that is a huge part of your, uh, you know, your development as a player. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of programs do like, you know, there's even teams in the North American League where they have like a, a gym membership and that and that's okay that's good but like um like you said like it like curls are for the girls a lot of kids will just go in there and just rip out 10 sets of curls and call it a workout right. but that doesn't really translate well to the the on ice portion of your performance so i think uh having someone steering the ship a little bit makes a big difference absolutely well coach any uh last minute comments any take backs anything you want to 
Yeah, Trevor, I never heard about I never heard about your weekend, and, and what do you got coming up with your team? Tell me about that. Well, real quick, uh, let's see. You know, we uh, we did not out here in Chicago. Uh, we had the CCM showcase that was out here, a global showcase. Uh, my team, unfortunately, was not uh, did not get in when we did our preseason. Uh, basically, our preseason. Um, fuck, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Like parody or no qualifier? We did not get in. Um, our application did not get in for the pre uh, during the preseason. We did not get accepted in, which is too bad. Human Torch was denied a bank loan. Exactly. Yep. Uh, it it was one of those things where it's kind of disappointing we didn't because some of the teams that we have beaten in our league so far, um, you know they uh. They got in. They were playing. So, to be fair, the age group that I have right now, they were in the league they were in last year. Uh, they were not at the. They actually, I think, finished in last place. So, if that's how the company and CCM, you know, the whole thing, they viewed it, totally understand. Um, you know, if that's what they based it on. But uh, yeah, we didn't get in. So basically, what I'm trying to get to is all the ice here in Chicagoland uh, was bought up, pretty much by. Uh, company 200 by 85 um so we we kind of had an off week um and then because i was at the time anticipating us still being in that tournament um i didn't really load up too much on this weekend because i figured oh we'd be playing like four or five games the previous weekend so uh we've had a lot of but you know it came at a good time we've been having a lot of practices um which i know the kids get a little stir crazy so we've tried to incorporate some games that'll small area games that kind of focus on the areas that we definitely, you know, as a team, we need to work on. Uh, while we still need to keep continuing to push those positives that we found from the beginning, see, everything comes back full circle. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we've we been just doing a lot of different things within practice, you know, just still, though, harping on a lot of the things we need to work on. So um, really nothing outside of, uh, well, I guess I got to bring, I guess I got to keep the streak going. I did get to go to the Chicago Blackhawks game, and I got to see Connor Bedard in person. Nice. What was that like? <sighs> it was like seeing the second coming of Jesus, I guess. I mean, oh. yeah, it just it just a light shone, just was shining right down on him. And no, honestly, I was scared for him because he's like five nine. I don't care what anyone says; he's like five nine. And he probably weighs a. Buck sixty five soaking wet. Um, yes, but you know, even today though, they played the Panthers again. Now that's who we saw. Which, oh my God, we we sat in the hundred level. My uh, my assistant coach slash ex stepbrother, his him and his dad uh, own a company, and they buy they bought season tickets again because um, it's a nice little tax write off. Um, and so we were in the hundred level, and first of all, at the United Center, make sure you're not sitting in row six seven or eight in the hundred level because with the glass because they have these stupid ads on tv that they show on the glass the glass is all goofy in person and like it looks like someone took like a bunch of like dish soap and really? like just kind of basically wiped it all over the entire screen yeah it's i you know my stepbrother he was telling me like assistant matt i'm just gonna call him my stepbrother um matt he was telling me he's like he goes yeah there's something weird with the glass now and i was like i looked at it and i go i wonder if this is for the reflective so they can do the ads on the glass and he goes you know i never thought about that still it hasn't been confirmed so if anybody out there knows what it is but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So anytime the puck went down on the other side of the ice, you basically had a look up at the Jumbotron, which kind of sucked. But 
we got to see the Hawks. Uh, they actually uh, they won the game, which was great. Um, we got to see them light up uh, Andy Stolarz. Um, and yeah, we got to see Bedard in person. And like I said, he was, uh, he was fun to watch. I mean, he's definitely got the skill. Um, I really, I can't imagine what he's going to be like in the next, you know, even two, three years from now. He's, uh, he's something, he's something else. So, um, but yeah, it was a good time. And, uh, that's kind of basically what it's been. Just a really low key last two weeks. And now we're getting ramped up here where we're going to have a crap ton of games coming up. And, uh, we're, uh, just got our, Thanksgiving tournament released uh, the schedule and guess who gets to play at seven thirty on Thanksgiving morning? No way, really. This guy. So. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, we got a game at. Uh, I know it's and then the best part is it's a it's a Friday, uh, Thursday sorry Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday tournament. Our first game is Thanksgiving morning at seven thirty a.m. and then we don't get the we don't have to play until Saturday. And we play a game at like eleven, and another game at like four. Oh my gosh, where is this played? Is it in Chicago? It's in the yeah, in the North Shore, on oh the North gosh. Side. So we get so we get to go and play. I mean, again, Thanksgiving game. Okay, it's fine. Whatever. I, it is what it is. I don't want to get up at five a.m., but who gives a shit, right? But now we got to go play two games on Saturday, and another team has to do the same thing. While the two local team, more local teams in that area, two of them, I guess the other one is one, but they don't, they get to play Wednesday or they get to play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There are three games. So I'm like, come on, like, how do we get, how, what are we getting, getting bonked over here for, you know? Like, so I get, I got basically three, four hours between my games and these other teams basically get to walk in fresh. So, the adversity's uh, we, we it's could, there, we could do but a whole uh, episode you know on the nonsense that exists with uh, tournament scheduling. <laughs> oh my god! There you go. That'll be the next episode because I got plenty of stuff on that one. But that, yeah, so we like got that. Festivus, you know what though? Festivus episode. We're like I got a lot of I got a lot of bones to be, pick yes. with you guys. We're gonna talk about it right now. Yeah. Luckily, it's a local tournament that's ran by the team or the club, two clubs, um, and they're not a hockey company that I will refrain from talking about right now. But uh, <laughs> hockey tournament company, but uh, yeah. So honestly, we've just been working hard, having fun uh, with the kids, just trying to work on different things, and uh, that's about it. So I can't, uh, I can't complain. Can't complain. That's good stuff, Trevor. All right, Coach. Well, it was great catching up with you. And, uh, yeah, so uh, for uh, I'm Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. Thanks for listening to uh, the Hockey Toolkit, and we will catch you on the other side.